Bible, if you guys will stand with us, we're going to sing it out together. And if you'd like to clap, we, we could use rhythm. If that makes you feel silly, don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> we like
four and lead us in a time of confession. John had a vision of these incredible heavenly creatures praising God around his throne. It says in verse 8, day and night they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Lord, we come to you this morning recognizing that you alone are worthy. That you have created all things, and by your will they were created. By your will they exist. Lord, that includes us. Well, that includes our jobs, our relationships, our homes, our neighborhoods, everything that we love, every gift that you've given to us. Lord, we offer all of these things to you. And we come as a people confessing that often we bow down to those things instead of to you. That often we've said that these things are more worthy than you are. And Lord, we come again this Lord's Day and, and start a new cycle of repentance of letting go of those false idols, letting go of those other things that we so often bow down to, and renewing again our commitment to honor you, to say that you alone are worthy, that all these things that we bow down to, all these things that we give our energy to are secondary, but you alone are God. You've created them for your glory. And so, Father, we pray that you would continue to transform our hearts as we continue to worship you by grace, recognizing that you've forgiven us for our false worship and that you alone give us the faith and the strength and the new life by your resurrection power to worship you, to worship what's real. Pray that you would lead us. In Jesus' name, amen.
us to take hold of that fact that you are enough for us God that your sacrifice was enough to save us God thank you for bringing us to yourself God I pray that you'll help us to live as your children and not to be slaves to sin anymore but to be slaves to righteousness God I pray that uh, you'll help us to listen God and know what you want from us. God, know what you have for us. Help us to be ready for your coming. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, good morning again. Welcome. If I didn't get to welcome you earlier. Uh, we are in Matthew chapter 24, so you can open up your Bibles to Matthew 24 if you have one, or if you don't have one, you're welcome to take one of the black Bibles we have under the chairs, and if you don't have one at home, I would just you can just keep it, uh, it's yours. Um, but we can open up to Matthew 24, and in those black Bibles, that should be about page 829 if you're still flipping and looking in there. And I did want to make an announcement, I said earlier, I had some uh, financial announcements we had asked you to look at the back of the bulletin. We, we were a little low budget-wise last month, and one of the things I was encouraging everyone is if you're in a place where you're not able to give much, I would love just for the people, again, not just those that are visiting and checking us out, but if, if you consider this your home, uh, to give a little. We'd rather have a lot of people giving a little uh, than relying on a couple of people to give a whole lot of money and other people feel like, well, I don't have anything to give. But if you can just give a little, we would appreciate that, and I think also that would be good for you, uh, even as you're going through difficult times, we don't want to say take food out of your children's mouth and give it to the church, uh, but set aside something. I think most people are in, in a spot where they could give something, probably. If you're not, then we understand. Some of you are in a position where you need us to give to you, and if you are in that position, then talk to us about that. We do have benevolence, and we do help people here at the church. Uh, others of you um, could give more, and we'd ask you to give more. We would ask you to consider that and pray about that, um, but kind of a core value that we've had at this church is that we don't twist arms to give. Uh, we believe that as you grow more deeply in your understanding that God has given to you, that you will be a giving people. And we're very thankful that that's what we've seen unfold in the three years of our history as a church. We're just a little over three years old, and we've seen again and again that God has given us very generous people, and that as people grow in their faith and they grow in understanding who God is and what kind of generous God we have, that that's continued to transform us into generous people. And so I want to say, even as I point out that we were a little low budget-wise and we have some financial needs, I want to say that I continue to be uh, just overwhelmed by what a generous body this is. And, and I'm excited to see the way that God has uh, dispersed you all into your neighborhoods and your jobs and your communities and how God is using you uh, to give to different people in different places. So thank you for that. Um, we also have a very specific need that I wanted to share on top of those just regular, you know, we were a little low budget-wise last month. Um, as trying to be good stewards of this building. We're in a plan we should have this paid off in about eight years. Um, we just kind of happened onto this building a couple of years ago. Like I said, we're a baby church plant. We're renting a school. 
couldn't find anything to rent and happened upon this building and felt like God just kind of dropped this in our lap, purchased this building. We're paying it off in about eight years and making uh, pretty hefty payments to try to get, get that debt out of the way so that we can be free to do other things as a church. Um, one of the things we want to do is take care of the building while we're in it. Um, we joke about the pink carpet and how ugly that can be. And so I, I just want you to know we're not going to replace that because we know for so many of you that's what attracted you to this place was this <laughs> carpet. Um, but we do feel like just for like cleanliness back in the nursery, it used to be a daycare before we bought this building. And so there's carpet back there that just really, you know, just really needs to be replaced. We're going to start on that here pretty soon. We're going to be replacing some of the entryway carpet out there and some of the nursery carpet. We'd already replaced a couple of them right when we moved in the building. So we'll finish that out and try to have new flooring in that nursery area. Um, we also want to repair the parking lot. Um, if you've noticed, uh, if you're not careful when you're driving, you might fall into a chasm into the middle of the earth out there. Um, so we want to repair some of that. And to do all of that right with the, just the flooring in there, again, we won't touch your precious pink carpet in here, but just in there and uh, the parking lot, that'll be about $40,000 to do all of that. And we've got some money saved up already, um, but we'd like to, we don't have quite enough to do all of that. And we've probably got about half of what we need. Um, so we'd like people to give just especially to that. So, so we're asking people to give, if you consider this your home, to just give regularly, to set aside what God leads you to give and give regularly to the church. You drop that in the box in the back. Uh, but then if you want to give towards a special project of repairing some of the stuff that's fallen into disrepair, um, just mark on your check repair, and we'll know to set that aside for that project. So we're just asking people to give specifically to that as well. So I appreciate you, like I said, to pray about that. We really feel strongly that, that the way giving should happen is that people should be moved by the Spirit um, and give according to how God leads them to give. Uh, but you can't do that if you don't know what the needs are. So we've we got to let you know what those specific needs are. If you will open up to Matthew 24, we're going to continue this, uh, this study on the end times. We talked earlier that this is a church where we do what we call expository preaching, which basically means we go through and try to expose what the Bible says. So we go through and we study books of the Bible. And one of the benefits of going through kind of book by book, sometimes we do topical studies here and there to, to fill in the calendar. But for the most part, we study through books of the Bible. And, and what that does is that forces me to teach on subjects that I wouldn't normally pick, right? Normally, we, I would just pick happy, easy subjects all the time, and I wouldn't go to the hard stuff like the end of the world, which is where we are right now. Uh, so one of the benefits of studying through book by book is it forces me to tackle subjects that I wouldn't normally want to tackle. And we tackled most of the hard stuff last week, looking at kind of the end of the world, and we called that sermon The End, and that was the beginning of Matthew 24. We'll continue this week, and we'll just look at 10 verses in Matthew 24, verses 32 through 42, okay? So it's kind of a transition section. We're transitioning from all this big stuff that Jesus said about the end last week to these parables about how we should live in light of the end that is coming. So we're transitioning in this subject where Jesus is saying, because the end is coming, you should live in a good way. You should live in a way that, that is standing guard, that is keeping watch, that is keeping your head in the game, that is always being ready for his return. And so we're in this transition section here. We'll, we'll look at verses 32 through 42. So read with me, please. And for those of us that, that uh, like control, uh, that want everything scheduled out, that want our calendar uh, well written and, and complete, um, this might be a little troubling for you this morning, so I apologize. Starting in verse 32, it says, Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking. Marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be left in the field. Excuse me, two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Today, as we look at his coming, let's pray and ask him to, uh, to teach us, to lead us today. Father, we pray that you would teach us, uh, that as we study and think about your coming, your return, 
that you would give us wisdom. Lord, we know that you are the one in control. We, are, we know that you're the one that, um, that understands how all these things will work out. Lord, we recognize just as we've been in this last year in the book of Matthew, we've seen again and again that, that your son Jesus is the fulfillment of all our hopes and, and all that was prophesied in the Old Testament. And so even as we look at the confusion and, and the uh, differences of opinion of the end times, Lord, and, and don't understand exactly how it will all work out, we do understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things. And so we come to you in faith, praying and hoping that, that we'll understand you better, that you'll be lifted up, that you'll teach us and give us wisdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for those of you that haven't seen the commercials yet, um, I just want to let you know that there's a new movie coming out, and uh, the end of the world has been predicted. It's coming on December 21st. 2012. Anybody seen that yet? It's coming? Yes, it's coming soon. Um, kind of scary. Looks like it should be a good music movie. It's a John Cusack movie. I love John Cusack. But um, it's going to be a movie about the end of the world. And apparently the Mayans, uh, way back when, uh, when their culture still existed, uh, were working on some uh, calendars and they got it all planned out. They looked at the stars, they lined everything up, and they figured out that the world, the universe, will apparently expire on uh, December 21st, 2012. And what's really weird is that it works out like with our number system, it's 12, 21, 12. Isn't that creepy? So, of course, that means it's got to be true, right, if the numbers work out. Um, It's interesting, again and again, and we talked about this a little bit last week, we've had these movies that predict the end of the world. And so we can be kind of cynical, maybe we can laugh a little bit about it. But part of the appeal, part of the reason we go to see these movies is because we're wondering, right? We want to know when the end of the world is coming. I mean, if I could put it in my calendar, that would be really nice. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that help me work things out in my life? If I could know, if I could set the clock. I mean, we just set the clocks last night, you know, go through this ritual, checking all the clocks. I never know. I use my cell phone for my alarm. I never know if it's going to automatically set itself in the middle of the night. So I always end up having to wake up an hour early and then sleep again another hour because I didn't know if it was going to automatically reset or not. Anybody else have that problem with your cell phone? It's like sometimes it does it, sometimes it doesn't. Anyway, that's another whole sermon, I guess, on cell phones. But, but we all have this desire to, to understand the date and the times, right? To understand how it's going to work out, to, to be in control, to know how it's going to go down. And what does Jesus tell us? Do, have the Mayans gotten it figured out? Have all the cults gotten it figured out? Has anyone gotten it figured out? Has anyone that set a date so far been right? No. They have not been... Right, and Jesus says, he doesn't even know the time. That's, that's mind-blowing, right? I mean, somehow, Jesus is God, he and the Father are one, and yet, that's, that's part of his divinity that he's set aside. You know, Philippians 2 talks about this, you know, giving himself up, really, to become a servant, to die on the cross for us, to become a man. And so, at, at some level, he's given something over to the Father, and he's still God, but, but he doesn't even know. He doesn't even know when the end is coming. See, none of us know. Jesus doesn't know. I don't know. The ancient Mayans did not know. I'm sure something interesting is going to happen on that day because, you know, astronomy and all that, but, but it's probably not going to be the end of the world. Jesus says the end of the world is near. It's coming. And, and we should live in light of that reality. That we should live ready for it to come any time. That there's an admonition at the end of this section. He says, therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come says, be ready all the time. The best illustration I could think of is, is uh, in football. I'm coaching some fifth grade boys football. It's like fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. Mostly fifth graders in football. And these boys like to come up to me in the middle of the game and like ask me what time it is. I'm like, don't ask me what time it is. Just keep your helmet on and be ready to go in the game at any moment. You know, I'm trying to tell them, just be ready. You know, keep your head in the game. Focus. You know, and they want to know, well, when am I going in? Am I going in the next play? I don't know. You're on defense. We've got offense. Just be ready. We, you could go in the next play or it could be six plays. You know, just, just be ready. Always be ready. And Jesus is saying that's how we should live our life. You can't know. You don't know if it's tomorrow. It might be tomorrow. It might be in 2,000 more years. We don't know when he's coming. But he says to live ready. To be ready all the time for him to return. The first promise that he makes is that his coming is near. The first promise that he makes is his coming is near. We see this in verses 32 through 34. I'm going to read these again. He says, Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. 
As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. He says, this generation is not going to pass away until all these things have happened. There's a great systematic theology written by Wayne Grudem, and I would recommend that if you want to go deeper and kind of understand just theology and doctrine. Um, It's a good one. A systematic theology is basically a book written where they, in a systematic way, arrange teachings from the scriptures. And so, kind of topic by topic, you go through and they cull everything that the Bible has to say and what different people have written about it so you can kind of understand a doctrine and how it's uh, played out in the scriptures. Well, he has an interesting thing on the end times where he talks about pretty much all these things that Jesus talked about happening before the end comes were, were already fulfilled or partially fulfilled. And yet there's still fulfillments to come. And so there's tension there. there there's, like I said, there's all kinds of disagreements about the end times and what they mean and what's been fulfilled already and what's still to be fulfilled But Jesus is saying this generation won't pass away until all these things, at least most of these things that require uh, to be fulfilled before he can come back, saying this generation won't pass away until they've all been fulfilled. And and I take that to mean that that generation back in the first century that passed away, everything that needed to be fulfilled for Jesus to come back has been fulfilled. So now he can come back any time. He can come back any time. Yes, there will be future fulfillments, and there, there are double fulfillments of things, and prophecy gets very complicated, but he's saying, I can come back anytime. I can come back anytime. And he uses the illustration of, of the fig tree, which is a real common plant in their day. Here's a picture of a fig tree with the leaves there. He's saying, when the fig tree starts to sprout its leaves, when it gets tender, when it gets green, and you see the whole spring budding process coming, you know that summer is near. He's saying, you've got this trigger that shows you, hey, summer is coming. And he's saying, that's kind of the way that these events that are unfolding are happening as well. You know that the end is near. Let me read it again, 32 and 33. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. It's this word meaning it's close. It's near. It's, it's right here at hand. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. He's saying these things that are happening, wars, rumors of wars, going back to the beginning of chapter 24, there are wars, there are rumors of wars, nations rising against nation, earthquakes, famines, of the destruction of Jerusalem, all these things, he's saying, all these things are showing us that the end is near. We talked about the one last thing that we didn't think had been completely finished yet was the preaching of the world, or the preaching of the word to all of the world, right? The preaching of the gospel, the, the message of Christ going to every nation, every ethnic group, every tribe all over the world. And we said that's really the last piece that we know we can work on, right? That's the thing that we can be about to finish what God wants to have finished before he comes back. But even so, that's pretty subjective, right? I mean, there's statistical ways of saying, well, the gospel has gone to this people group. Well, that people group might be 20 million people and they have one church among 20 million people. So we're not sure exactly what it means for the gospel to saturate a culture. But we know that that's the job that he's left for us to do is to then preach the word into every culture, into every people group. So that will be pretty hard to know when that's done. We're not going to really know when that's finished. We know that's the work that he's left us to do. But we're not even really sure when that will be finished. And he's saying, know that the end is near, that it could come at any time. In verses 42, chapter 24, the end of this section, it says, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. And the idea, like I said, talking about the, the football player, the little kid on the sideline, you know, they want to take their shoes off, they want to go play with the dog on the other side of the fence. He's saying, no, stay focused. Keep your helmet on. Stay in the game. Stay focused on what God would have you to be about. What are the priorities that he's given you? What are the gifts that he's given you to use? We all have different gifts. We have different passions that he's given us. And the problem is when we make those all there is. And we talked about this a little bit earlier in the service, where we begin to worship uh, the things that God has given us instead of worshiping God himself. And he says the way that, that we stay ready is by giving our work back to him. See, there's two extremes that that people go to, right? There's the one extreme where we just get a lawn chair and we sit on our house and we wait for Jesus to come. Is that what he's calling us to do? I don't think that's what he's calling us to do. I don't think that's what it means to keep watch and be ready. I don't think he means pull out the binoculars and stare at the sky, okay? And we'll see this more in the next week. In the next week, we're going to look at chapter 25 where he gives parable after parable of 
Be faithful. Be about your business. Do what God has called you to do. That's what it means to keep watch and to be ready. So we go to this one extreme of just sitting in a chair on the roof waiting for him to come back. We go to this other extreme where we think it's all about being about this world's business. We don't even consider it, right? The trick is in our life to walk that line where we take the resources given us, the, the talents, the skills, the job I have, the family I have, um, the passions I have, the knowledge I have, and to use those for his glory, to, to bless God with those things, to live my life in such a way that it gives honor to God, that when people look at me and look at the way that I do this or do that or the way I love my family or the way I do my job or the way I uh, coach fifth graders or what, you know, whatever it may be, that that brings honor to Jesus. That's what it means to keep watch. That's what it means to make the use of the time, to make the most of the time that we have, knowing that he's near, that he could come back at any moment. The other thing, the other promise that we get is that his coming is true, that it really is going to happen. Right, we joked about how we can be cynical about 2012. We can be cynical about all the other predictions that all the cults have made. Um, but he's saying, I really am going to come back. We, we know these people haven't gotten it right. And so that makes us you know, take pause and say, well, we're not going to become date setters. We're not going to say, we know it's in my calendar. He's coming on this day at this hour. We, we know better than to do that. But we don't want to go to the extreme of then saying, that's never going to happen. Don't think about it. You know, but that's too far to go as well. He's saying his coming is true. It is really going to happen. And we see that in verses uh, 34 and 35. I tell you the truth. Literally, the, the Greek word is amen. You ever heard that word before? Amen. We say that at the end of prayers usually, right? It means it's true. It means so be it. When you're saying that, it's not just like a little radio sign-off thing that you do. You're saying so be it. God, I trust this to be true. Amen means true. It is true. He says, I tell you the truth. In older Bible versions, he says, truly, truly, I say unto you. Have you ever heard that phrase? It's a phrase you hear a lot. Jesus saying in the older versions. So in verse 34, I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. He, he's making a promise. We know that, that our promises aren't all that good, right? We let each other down. We're not always as faithful as we would like to be. But when Jesus makes a promise, it's something that we can trust. He is faithful. He is true. He's saying, truly I say to you. He says, all the rest of this is going to pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. This world is going to dissolve. But there will be an eternal world that, that outlasts it, that goes beyond it. And Jesus is saying, be devoted to that future world. We want to build and we want to create and we want to love and we want to live and we want to use the stewardship that we have in this world now in a way that honors his words and honors that reality that will never pass away, that future that we look forward to, being with him where all things are right, where all disease is gone, where, where everything is better. He says, live in a way now that honors that future. He says, truly I say to you, my words will never pass away. Yeah, all of this will pass away. It's all going to burn. It's all going to drift away. It's going to be transformed into something else. We don't know what the new heavens and the new earth will be like. All we know is it will be perfect. We know it will be a lot better than this. We have to trust that, that what he says is true. I've been uh, counseling a lot of families lately in relationships. and We've been talking about just the whole dynamic of, of uh, marriage. We've been doing a lot of weddings lately too. We've been doing a lot of premarital counseling and just counseling couples. You know, Are they ready to get married? Do they want to make this commitment? And we've also, in our family, it's weird, all this is hitting at the same time. The last three weeks, we've been watching the uh, movie Pride and Prejudice. And we've been, I say the last few weeks, we've been watching the A&E version, which is like 37 hours long. Have you seen that one? And it's actually pretty good, as long as you bite it off in little pieces. Um, it, it's pretty good, but it's all about marriage and romance and what makes a good marriage. And at the core, what a wedding, what a marriage is, is it's this promise, it's covenant that a man makes to a woman. Um, and, and there was this dynamic in Pride and Prejudice where this, you know, one guy that's kind of slimy is taking advantage of the younger sister in the movie. And, um, and they're saying, oh, how terrible that is and how they want him to actually make the promise. They want him to actually commit and commit to marry her. Because there's something important about being able to trust in that oath. 
That, that makes a difference in a relationship. And I've talked about this with a lot of couples lately. That makes a difference when you know you can count on your man. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm making you a promise. This is an oath that I'm saying. I am going to come back. It's going to look like I'm not coming back. There's going to be a delay. And again, we're going to look at this in the parables next week. We're going to see that there are these delays and it, it seems to take a long time. And we might start to think, not only is it important, impossible to set a date, but we might start to think, he's just not coming back. This is not happening. I was just wrong. I signed up for the wrong team or something. And he's saying, no, trust me. This is true. He's saying his coming is true. It's something that we can count on happening. Second Peter combats this idea in Second Peter 3. Peter writes, You must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. The apostles wrote about this. They know there's always going to be people that say, in order to follow their own evil desires, in order to indulge themselves in what they want to do with their life, they're going to say his coming is not going to happen. It's not true. Everybody's been saying that. The Mayans predicted it. The cults predicted it. All these, you know, it's a, everybody's predicted it. It's not really happening. The end of the world's not happening. God's not coming back. Jesus is not coming back. And people will say that. And Peter's warning, they're saying that really to indulge their own evil desires. And I think often that's what happens to us. We like to say, eh, I don't need to worry about that happening. I'll just do my life. And, and then I can get right with God later. You know, we, we do that, don't we? We think, I can take care of that later. He's, no, he's saying, no, my, my coming is near. It could happen any time. And my coming is true. It really is going to happen. Peter continues in, in chapter 3, verse 8. Don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The reason he hasn't come back yet is he's patient with us. He's giving us time. That's, that's what the Bible says. It's not something we deserve, but it's his graciousness towards us. It's his love for us. That's the delay. He's giving the world more time. Scriptures say he can come back any time, but he waits and he delays out of love for us. You skip down to the end of 2 Peter chapter 3. It says, Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard, so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. Again, that theme that we saw in our section, keep watch. He's saying, be on your guard. Don't fall into sin. Don't start to think it doesn't matter. How I live doesn't matter. I can do whatever I want. Don't start to be... To, to start to follow lawless men that say, how we live doesn't matter. What we do with our life doesn't matter. He says, be on your guard. Don't give in to that. His coming is true. The reason he's delaying is to give people more time to come to him. But those of us that know he's coming back, we, we should live as if he's coming back. We should live lives in alignment with him. And he says in verse 18, we're not living these lives out of guilt. We're not trying to earn his salvation. We're not trying to impress him so that when he comes back, he says, hey, you live better than your neighbor, so you're in, but they're out. We need to live based on his grace, that our salvation is what he has given to us, that our position is secure because of who he is. In verse 18, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You need to grow in that. You need to realize, first of all, that grace exists. Grace exists. And grace doesn't mean God doesn't care. Grace means God, God cares passionately about his standards of holiness and right and wrong. Grace doesn't mean he doesn't care about all the sins that we've done and all the, the shameful ways that we've lived. It means that he's paid for it. It means that he's covered it. Some people take grace to mean God just winks at it and sweeps it under the carpet. No, the Bible says that, that God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place, to take the place of us on that cross, to, to take our sins on himself. So he lived a perfect life in our place, and he died an innocent death in our place. That's what grace means. God cares about how we live. But he's the one that paid the price for it. He's the one that took care of it. And so as we grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it means, first of all, knowing it, knowing God's grace, and then living new lives because of his grace. 
Because he's made us his children out of his goodness, therefore we try to live as if we are his children. Not we try to live and try to pretend we're his children so that he'll then approve of us and make us his children. No, he makes us his children by his grace. He approves of us because of his love. He brings us in. He adopts us into his family. And then because we've been adopted, then we begin to live a new life. Then we begin to be unleashed. Then our hearts begin to be set free and we actually have the passion to live for others and not just live for ourselves. We can count on his promises. So keep watch because you don't know the day which he will return. The last section tells us that it is unexpected. And this really could be the theme for the whole thing. His coming is unexpected, verse 36 through 42. It says it this way, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father, as it was in the days of Noah. So it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken, and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. He says, just like in the days of Noah, just like during the flood, it, it happened on them just out of the blue. They didn't expect it to happen. They scoffed at Noah. They thought he was an idiot for building an ark. But God told him to prepare and uh, if you've heard the Bill Cosby routine, you know how that all went down. Um, you know people thought he was dumb, and you know that people scoffed at him. And then when the flood came, they were not expecting it. They were not prepared. And he says, Jesus says, that's the same way his return will be. It will be a shocker. It will be unexpected. Our job, part of our job to keep watch is to expect his unexpected coming. It could come at any time. We cannot set our clocks. We don't know when it's going to be, but we have to live in a way that says we believe that Jesus is coming back. And we want to have lives that honor him. Like I said, lives where we are about the business he's given us to do, where we work our job with excellence, where we do what he's told us to do and, and honor him. But we don't know exactly when. We don't have the date on our calendar. I don't have a little reminder on my phone, you know. Beep, 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 30 minutes, Jesus is coming back, get ready, you know? That's how I live the rest of my life, right? Oh, I've got 30 minutes to finish up and get ready for this next meeting. That's, that's not how we should prepare for Jesus' return. It's not the 30-minute beeper, but it's our whole life should be in preparation for him. Again, not go set a lawn chair on the roof of your house and not just throw yourself into this life 100%, but work with what he's given you. Work with the job he's given you, the family he's given you, the life, the circumstances he's putting you in, the neighborhood where he has put you. I think this is especially difficult for people here in Colleen, Texas, right? How many of you moved to Colleen in the last two years? Raise your hands. We go more than half of the church, I think, at least half. Um, a lot of times I think people see Fort Hood as a place of exile. Anybody? Anybody see it that way? Sometimes people see Fort Hood as a place of exile, especially if you've come from some place where they have seasons and all that kind of stuff. You know. but, but you can see Central Texas, you can see Fort Hood as a, as a place of exile. Well, God gave very specific directions to his people in Jeremiah 29 when they were in exile. He said, plant gardens, get married, pray for the peace and prosperity of the city to which God has called you, the city to which he has sent you. If you feel like you're in exile, make the best of it. Use the time he's given you. See it as not just punishment, but as a gift that God has given you. He has put you here for a reason. Acts 17 says God determines the boundaries and the places and the times in which people will live. God created you for this. It may not feel like it, but he has called you and sent you as a missionary to the time and the place and the job and the school and the family that you live in right now. And he wants you to use it for his glory. He wants to do your work with excellence. He wants, to love, wants you to love your family well. I love this quote by St. Francis of Assisi. It's, it's uh, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. And we like that, right? Because that's how we should live our lives. We should live our lives in a way that presents the gospel. God is generous. He has forgiven our sins. He loves us. We are now free. We should live this kind of free life. But I also want to stress that sometimes we can use that as an excuse not to say any words. We should also say words, too. We should also connect the dots. People don't always 
connect the dots. You know, Daniel kind of sticks out as this Bible character who was like the holiest guy in the whole Bible, right? And he's one of those people who's a great example of he just did his job with excellence. He worked with a bunch of pagans, but he continued to honor God in the midst of that. Well, they knew why he was different. They knew, and you need to make sure people can connect those dots, that they know that the reason that you live different, the, the reason that you have hope, the reason that you have love in your life, the reason that you have patience, the reason that you do your job with excellence, even though it doesn't seem like a job that's worth giving any excellence to. People need to know that that's because of Jesus, because of who he is and what he's done for you. And when you live that way, and you connect those dots for people, you are keeping watch. You are prepared for him to return. You're living life, ready for him to come at any moment. You're expecting this unexpected arrival of Jesus. I want to close with this one verse. I joked about how, you know, if I had my preference, I wouldn't speak about the end times, the end of the world, but Matthew has got us here, so this is what we're talking about. Um, but I was convicted as I read 1 Thessalonians 4. Um, we think of these as kind of strange things, difficult to understand, but 1 Thessalonians 4 um, tells us that, that we should think about these things. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, 17, and 18 talk about the return of Christ. They say, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So those that have already dead will, will be given glorified bodies. They'll rise up to meet Christ. Um, I'm sure it will be quite bizarre. Um, in, chapter, in verse 17 it says, After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll be with the Lord forever. Verse 18 says, Therefore encourage each other with these words. I, I, I've just realized, I've been convicted that I don't often encourage myself or others with these words. He is coming back. He really is returning. That really is our hope. He really is our hope. We, we talk all the time about what he's done for us in the past. And that's important and that's central and will always be central. But... But he's coming back, too. Not only did he forgive us, but he's coming back to make all things right. The, the disease that you're struggling with now will be taken away. The pain and the brokenness and the imperfections of this world will, will all be made right. We look forward to that day. We should encourage each other with that thought, with that hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are coming back for us. Jesus said in John that you haven't left us as orphans, but you've sent your Holy Spirit to be with us. And so we pray that your Spirit would comfort us and remind us and call out from within us, Abba, Father, that we would know that you're our Daddy and that we are not abandoned, but we are looking forward to your return. Lord, help us to live that way. Help us to live in that freedom. Help us to live differently. Help us to honor you with the stewardship you've given us to make the most of the place that you have sent us, the place that you have put us, to invest, to dig down roots wherever we are planted for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.